Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Inside Groove Supermodified Podcast. This is episode 114. My name is Tom Baker. I am the host of the show and happy to be back with you again as we bring you um, another Inside Groove episode with a very special guest, which you'll hear from in just a couple of moments. Um, we will talk with Jody London from GTR Promotions, who, of course, works just tirelessly to put on the Dave London Memorial Super Stock Race on Classic Weekend at Oswego and also uh, brought the compact cars to Oswego and hopefully, prayerfully, finally will um, have the big sportsman modified race at uh, Oswego. All of that is now going to take place on Classic Weekend this year. And so we'll talk with him about all of that. Um, as we record this, Jody is at the Motorsports Expo in Syracuse. So uh, he'll escape the confines of the uh, the show to, um, to talk with us for a little while. Um, also, of course, what's in the number? We're going to be talking about the number five and the number 14. Um, so those will be two interesting numbers to talk about for, for a lot of reasons. So we'll get to that later in the show as well. Um, first, however, we need to take a moment to talk about a driver who has uh, left us. Um, it's always hard to talk about losing a racer who you grew up watching and, um, you know, again, back, back when you're young, you know, you, you, you have such a sort of magnificent perspective, you know, larger than life perspective of, uh, athletes and, and people who are sort of at the top of their profession. Um, Dean Hogue came to Oswego in the super modified division in 1979. Now, um, my early memories of Dean are not in the supers because if you were paying attention at all to the modified division back in the seventies, Dean was already a very successful, highly competitive modified racer, of course, followed in the footsteps of his father, Dutch. And, um, again, in, in, in that area, I would, in that area, I was a kid and I loved the modifieds and the supers and <laughs> thinking back on it. Um, even when I was, you know, six, seven, eight years old and, and, and starting to see the modifieds for the first time, you know, I, I, I didn't know anything outside of the city of Oswego, right? I hadn't been anywhere else. At least I don't think I had, I don't remember it. If I had it in that 
early in the early part of the, that era, I think the first track outside of Oswego that I went to was Fulton, uh, you know, big road trip there. Right. Um, and then I think Weedsport was somewhere in there in, in the first couple or three years that I was attending races. I think Weedsport happened. My, my sister and brother-in-law liked to kind of go to different races. My parents really didn't do too much road tripping. My dad took me to Fulton once. I remember seeing twice, actually, and I remember seeing Ronnie Wallace uh, win there the first time. And honestly, I don't remember who won the second time I went there. Um, But um, I did get to see a couple of those shows. But um, Dean was already a successful modified driver. And he, you know, my memory goes back to, um, I don't know that you can talk about Dean without talking about Dutch. Um, and, and I don't have a lot of memories of Dutch racing except for at the very end of his career, which was in the later seventies. Um, well, mid seventies, we'll call it, I think somewhere around, uh, 76 or 77. I think it was when Dutch started the season and it might've been 76 started the season in the Turner brothers, 18 super. This wasn't the convertible. This was the newer super that they had built. Um, that when they first brought it out, had the big blower on it. Um, Gary Reichert drove it for a year or so and then retired. And, uh, Dutch, was a driver that that was supposed to run that car I think the entire season but then had uh, if I remember right had a knee operated on or some sort of surgery like that and had to cut his season short and he had looked pretty good in the car um you know for the couple times that he drove it and I think he might have run the modified for them that the the 18 car that was the convertible for a while they kept running the modified as a modified after they had the other super. And um, I think he drove that a few times maybe, but then I didn't see any more of Dutch. And then Dean started uh, a few years later with the dates car. And by then I already understood that Dutch was a modified legend. You know, the jet, the uh, Genesee beer cars, I think it was before. I think that's, um, I want to say he had Genesee on the car. I know, I know Roger Treichler made it famous, but, but Dean or a Dutch used to have multiple cars, I think. And if, and, and if my memory serves me right, I almost want to say that there may have been a moment or two in time where, um, Jimmy Champagne might've driven one of those cars once or twice somewhere. Um, you know, in some other drivers, there were, there were multiples, uh, there were multiple cars. I think that Dutch had. So, I remember Dean coming to Oswego somewhere in that period of the mid seventies in the modifieds. And I was assuming he must've been, you know, fairly young. And I think that he was, but of course, you know, you weren't seeing 15 year olds or 16 year olds, you know, you think, well, early twenties or whatever. And I had assumed that that was when I saw him at Oswego, I had assumed that, that he was just, kind of brand new, I guess is where I'm going. What I realized later was by the time he started, by the time I started watching modified races at Oswego and seeing Dean 
race at Oswego. He'd already been racing a number of years. You know, I just hadn't been seeing the races. Um, so he had a few years under his belt and he was a good runner. He was a very strong runner in the modifieds. Um, and so when he, when it was announced that he was going to race in the super modified division in 1979 with, uh, he bought Kempton dates, uh, 78 offset car, which was the first offset car Kemp built. Um, I, I expected a lot. I, I expected him to come out and run well. You know, I was excited that he was going to race in the supers because again, um, I had, had seen him in the modified and he looked good. You think, well, you know, he'll be good, right? So he comes out, the car's beautiful, beautiful paint job on the car. And I remember, um, in the, in the port city race that year, he had a chance to win. That was that attrition, weird attrition filled race. And it wasn't, I'm not saying that was the only reason Dean was competitive, just saying that it kind of all played out to where there was a moment where I think I thought he actually could win that race. Um, and, um, I think he might've run out of fuel or something happened right toward the end. I can't remember now, but just a very impressive drive. And so, um, you know, Dean was, Dean was just a good race car driver. There's just no other way to say it, whether he was sitting in a modified or he was sitting in a super. And of course the next year, um, he comes back with the car and then, um, he, uh, in 1980 Maynard Troyer built him a car. And I don't know that that was for like foretold, um, very far in advance. It may have been, but I just, um, it, when Maynard brought that car out, it was one of the most beautiful pieces of racing machinery I've ever seen in my life. And, um, if I have a Mount Rushmore of super modifieds, just based upon design and pure beauty to look at, that certainly would be on it. That car, as it was when Maynard unveiled it, um, just was to me a, just an eye candy piece of eye candy that I could stare at all day. It was just beautiful and it was fast. Um, and, uh, once Dean got the car from Maynard, Maynard ran it a few weeks and, um, kind of got it running. And then Dean got a hold of it. Dean was fast. Um, you know, and, and so the, the early part there of his career, it looked like Dean was going to be, you know, potentially a, you know, multi-time winner champion. I mean, like everything seemed to be going well. And then, it, you know, it was just a series of things. I mean, he, he was always competitive, um, but you know, it's, it was, it was just tough to win in that era. And so, but Dean had a great career and I was thinking about how I was going to sort of uh, sum up his career and I happened upon the article that Camden wrote for uh, the Oswego Speedway website. And you know what? I, I normally don't, you know, don't read articles on, on this show. But to be quite honest with you, um, I just can't. 
uh, I can't find or, or think about, um, a better way to, to really sort of, um, sum up Dean's career at Oswego than this article. So, um, I'm, I'm going to read through this and, you know, may stop every now and again, just to sort of, uh, throw my own thoughts in there. But, um, here's what it says. The Oswego Speedway is deeply saddened to share news of the passing of Oswego Speedway Hall of Fame class of 2013 inductee, former limited super track champion and many time feature winner, Dean Hogue. Um, Hogue was 70 years old, son of the legendary Dutch Hogue. Dean of Rockstream, New York, had burst onto the supermodified scene in 1979, securing a fourth-place finish in June of his debut season and later taking home Rookie of the Year honors with his Johnson logging number two. Hogue would stick with a full supermodified schedule for over a decade, and during that time, he piloted a host of unique race cars, including the Maynard Troyer built number two, a show car, a dates chassis, and more, before finishing his big block career with Steve Miller's Sweet 16 in the early 1990s. Now, it seems to me as I remember back, and I um, I, I think that you could throw, there was a car, I believe, that a, a guy named John Byrosh, who I think was a driver and also a builder, but I'm not sure um, the name is familiar to me. But um, I think Dean had John build him a car. Um, he had the Troyer car and that car. Dean was, Dean always kind of had um, interesting ideas, right? Um, and I, and, and sometimes they, they worked well and sometimes maybe they didn't. But number one, um, you know, his cars, <laughs> his cars were always exciting to look at, right? He had, he, he had that sort of snowplow looking front end on the Troyer car. Um, he, he had the car that, that, um, a lot of people kind of termed the banana boat special because it looked like it, it had a, 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 a tail shape and, and was sort of shaped like those, the, 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 the little red, um, you know, banana boat things that you get your banana split in when you went to the ice cream shop. Like the cars were always, he, he was, he was very unique and and even the show car which i heard and i don't know how true this is but i thought i i I saw somewhere that that was sort of patterned after the 89 car um but it 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 wasn't um it looked like it was very sort of it, it was it was sort of similar but different um that car is the one he won his feature race in and it's it um he ran ran good with that car for for a bit um, and always did good. Even with a 16, I believe he had a couple of top five finishes. You know, I, I feel like, um, Dean was really in, in, in some ways, perhaps, um, a racer who was more talented than some of the cars he was driving. Right. It was, um, and, and, and I, um, but they were always, uh, interesting looking cars and always fun. And you never knew what Dean was going to come out with next. I think the car that, 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 um, other than the Troyer car, I think the car that I liked the best that he had was, um, one of the, and it might've been the Byrosh one. I can't remember. Cause I don't, 
Um, I don't remember who built all of the cars that he had, but there was, I think it was the one I'm thinking of is the one that I think ended up in Derek Gould's hands. Um, that car, when Dean had, it was pretty and, um, and it was a cool looking car, but, um, you always knew that if, if, if the car was right, Dean would put it in the front. He was a really talented racer. So, um, I'll continue reading from the article here. Um, Dave, uh, Dean became a frequent top five contender through the 1980s with his most memorable moment coming on July 14th, 1984, when he bested a top five of Brian Herb, Joe Gozik, John Teresi, and Eddie Bellinger to win the second twin 35 of any of the evening and forever etch his name into the Speedway record books as a super modified feature winner. It was late in 1993. Now this is where you start going um, into a whole different level. This is the Dean is about to have the kind of um, success that I think I thought, and, and probably many people thought he could have in the, in what we know now as the big block supers. Um, and this is how it happened in, in late, late 1993, Hogue, who had since stepped away from supermodified racing, teamed with car owner Jim Paternoster. And that duel would soon put together one of the most dominant periods in small block supermodified history. Back when they were limiteds, um, when they first came out, uh, they were called limiteds. And um, if I remember this correctly, Jim had a car already. He had started, I think that he started helping Scotty Murs. Um, and I want to say the car was 38. It was a black 38, I think. And I think it was, uh, a Don Whalen car, if I remember right. And then I think that I don't, and I don't know, I think at the time Scott owned the car, but maybe not, maybe Jim owned it, but then Jim ended up with it if he didn't have it already. Um, and it was, um, he ran it as, as 14 and, Gosh, I almost want to say Denny Wheeler was already driving it at the time. Um, Denny had had agreed to race for Jim. And um, and look, you know, this again, it's kind of a you think about how many drivers you see in NASCAR. Well, their best opportunities in the Xfinity series, not the Cup Series or the Truck Series, not the Cup Series. So that's where they go right for for the year. Well, you know, there were a few drivers like Denny that made that, that step from the supers to the, um, the limited supers or what we now know as the small block supers, SPS class and, and did it very successfully. And Denny was one of them and, and it was great equipment. Jim, Jim's cars were always, you could eat off them. You know, they were just spotless cars. He, he was, he was, he was and is, um, an amazing engineer and, um, just, um, he always had gorgeous cars. And I, I, by that time, um, I was, I was writing for the program. I think, I think I had the Eagle article, the limited, I was doing the limited stuff for the Eagle, I think by then. And, um, I was doing my radio show, um, the original inside groove, um, I, I now think about, um, and, 
and I remember that I remember Jim calling me um, and telling me that he had bought, and I don't remember if it was Don's 05 or if it was a different whaling car, but he had bought another car. And, um, and I think I was getting, if, if I remember right, I think I was getting the exclusive on this, um, or at least, you know, the first one to know, um, that, um, he was going to make it 41, which was his number when he briefly tried to race a while back and Dean Hogue would be the driver. And I thought, wow. Okay. Um, so you got Denny Wheeler and Dean Hogue now, which were two, you know, super modified drivers. Now, again, I don't mean this in a bad way, but you just, in so many ways, like Denny was another one. Good grief. Um, you think about how close he was to winning, how many features, right? Um, and and so he, I would argue both were hugely successful, just not to the degree that maybe you thought they could have been. And, and, and a lot of that is out of your control, you know? Um, and so Dean and Denny in the Paternoster cars, it's like, wow, this is going to be a good team. Well, little did we know, um, in the first, in, in, in their first full season together, Hogue, uh, Hogue secured his first two feature wins with a Paternoster number 41 and finished the year in fifth place. The point standings behind Scott Landers, Tim Guru, Mark Eaves, and Frank Ferguson. During the 1995 campaign, Dean continued to emerge as one of the top competitors in the still-growing limited super division, now dueling with the likes of brothers Tom and Andy Jowway, Bob Gutermout, Daryl Nichols, Todd Gordon, and Greg Furlong, among others, adding three more feature wins to his growing total. By 1996, Paternoster and Hogue were a virtually dominant force. Dean took the checkers in five main events, including a stretch of three in a row on July 6th, 13th, and 20th, plus the 50-lap limited Super Nationals on August 31st. That was classic weekend, by the way. Using those five wins, Hogue clinched his first track title in 1996, beating runner-up Billy Isaac by a healthy 72 points. One year later, Hogue would repeat the same feat again, winning five features and another three in a row in the month of August, this time fending off an ever-consistent Bobby Bond, who he beat by just 21 points to earn his second straight title. Dean's driving career at Oswego came to a close in 1998 when he competed in his final limited super season with Jim Patern- or with Paternoster. He would bag one more feature win in 98 and finish second to track champion Ray Graham in the season standings after one of the closest points battles in history between Hogue, Russ Brown, Mike Bond, and Keith Gilliam in the top five. All in all, Hogue tallied a total of 17 main event wins at Oswego. His 16 limited super or SBS feature victories is still fifth on the all-time win list behind only Bond, Brown, Dave Cliff, and Dave Grohl, and fittingly, he has 41 top fives, um, and that ties him for ninth place in that category. Although Dean's driving days were over in the late 90s, his involvement in local racing was not. And I'm, I'm imagining that there are probably some of you who did not know this before the article came out, because a lot of times you get kind of, you know, insulated in what you like or what you, and you don't realize what's happening outside of your your kind of, you know, the bubble, you know, in this case, you pay attention to a swig of super modifieds and not much else. Well, Hogue later became the owner operator of Black Rock, now called Outlaw Speedway in Dundee, New York, and spent his time helping his son, Alex, 
foster his own racing career. Um, Alex is a third generation driver and was a force in the Speedway's SBS division in the mid 2000s, particularly in 2014 when he won his first feature over John Tessorario, Anthony Lacerdo, Dan Apt, uh, Abd, and uh, Andrew Shortner. Hogue had two additional podium finishes that season, one behind Lacerdo in June and again in the 75-lap Bug Light Classic on August 30th when he finished runner-up to Classic champion Jay Andrews ahead of a stout top five that also included Craig Harris, Mike Bruce, and Jack Patrick. Dean was heavily involved in Alex's racing and with none other then lifelong friend and car owner Jim Paternoster helped to wrench on Alex's recent acquisition of the former Wallace Racing number 49 as recently as last fall. 49, of course, now has been renumbered to 41. How cool. The staff and management of the Oswego Speedway extend our heartfelt condolences to the Hogue family. Um, and I will echo those thoughts. Um, look forward to seeing what Alex can do in his return to the speedway um that i believe is a hedger car and um great equipment so um i'm sure that alex will run this season and forevermore in, in memory of uh his dad and his grandpa and um the hogue family is um one of the great first families of new york state racing in so many ways between Dutch and Dean and now Alex um, continuing that uh, after a, a brief time away uh, coming back and, and, and racing again. So um, it um, Dean had a remarkable career and was, was competitive and successful in three divisions of racing, all of which at that time in that era were extremely competitive and his um his success in the limited super division with jimmy paternoster you know there it's it's hard to you know to to duplicate that and you know at the time jimmy had i think he went from i think denny was in the 14 for a while and i think kenny williamson drove it a bit and there were probably a couple of others too that I can't think about right now, but, um, but he, uh, that, that car as good as it was. Um, and as much as I would say it was, it, it was close to, if not equal to the 41, I'm sure Jim tried to make it as equal to as possible. Um, some of it may just have been, cause I think the 41 was sort of a next generation, um, whaling car, but, um, the the difference between the two, um, I think a lot of it was Dean. He was just that good. <laughs> so, um, you know, to to see Dean have that kind of success was certainly not um, a surprise to me. Uh, and and Jimmy is very unsung as a mechanic, a crew chief, so to speak. Um, so, you know, I think that really was an era when both Dean and Jimmy were able to gain the respect that they deserve um, for, for their, um, their efforts and their uh, success in their various roles. So um, definitely going to miss, miss Dean and, and happy that Alex is coming back. Um, it's just um, it's tough, you know, tough to, to see, uh, see a veteran pass on, um, you know, I, as you get older, I think you, you kind of become more appreciative of, 
just getting up in the morning, right? I think when you're young, you kind of have this um, immortal view of, of life in general. And as you get older, I think you really appreciate the littlest moments more. Um, and, um, you know, certainly, uh, certainly thankful to have been able to watch Dean race and, and see him throughout his career. And, and, and especially for me to be able to see him in the modified early on. And, and, um, and then in the, um, in the, the super modified as he started out, um, and actually now that I'm thinking about it, I think I remember Dean running some races for, um, for, uh, Ron, uh, Randy Hedger too, at, at one point and, and doing pretty well for Randy in the modifieds and, um, maybe even, and I could be wrong about this, but maybe even, uh, some races in the, the Lee and Candy Dolan 28, not the V6 that Eddie Bellinger drove, but the. Um, the original car that they had. And I, th I think Dean may have driven that, um, but he was, he was equally as competitive in either division. And, and then I think his, like I said, his career went to a whole other level when he got, when he teamed up with Jimmy and the limited. So um, our, our prayers and condolences to, um, and uh, to Alex and uh, his family and uh, may God bless and, and comfort them in this time and, and look forward to, um, seeing Alex back at the track this season, um, it will be a special moment if he can put that 41 in victory lane, I'm sure. Uh, so I hope that he's able to do that um, and uh, and win that for his dad. So uh, with that, we are going to step aside. When we come back, Jody London will join us and uh, we'll talk about everything that he's got going uh, at the Speedway Classic weekend of this year. Back with more of The Groove in a moment. Okay, folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here in Inside Groove, Indie Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are amazing. They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, super modifieds. It doesn't matter if you've got something that you need designed or fabricated. Let them help you transform your idea, your vision and your budget into a workable, high performance solution. They have all kinds of services from 3D printing to finishing services, end-to-end -end composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, ipcindy.com or indieperformancecompositesinc.com and tell them that the folks from Inside Groove set you. Welcome back to The Groove as we bring on our special guest for this show, it is Jody London. It's good to have Jody back. Jody is a promoter extraordinaire, as I like to call him. He is the mean Gene Okerlund of uh, short track race promotion. And because <laughs> he's just so good and so energetic and uh, a lot of fun to talk to. Um, and uh, Jody actually is coming to us live from the Motorsports Expo in Syracuse. Um, and, uh, a lot going on there this weekend. So, um, 
got you kind of away from the the noise of the crowd and so forth. So uh, first of all, Jody, good to have you back. Tell us, uh, tell us what the what's it like at the expo here at about noon on Saturday. It's a, it's really busy right now. Got you know people are you know. It's really good. You always enjoy this event because even though, you know, the way the world has become now, they don't go out as much and it's not as busy in certain places and stuff like that. For some reason, this always on the Saturday, it's always packed with people just wanting to see the cars. They want to see, you know, luckily now teams don't post the social media, you know, prior to the new looks of the cars. And today, you know, guys debut the new the new looks. Yeah. This year. And, you know, to like, you know, today we debuted a new, a new look for a super stock and it, it, we're just, it's just great. Cause the, the kids are interested, you know, all the kids are interested. Uh, everyone. It's just, just like those good feelings in racing. Like you're, you know, this is why you love to do it. You love to just, you just, yeah. Well, I always it's, hard to, like... it's hard to put in words sometimes because, you know, I, I really enjoy really enjoy these events and seeing everyone just so elated yeah. and happy, like, Oh, it's getting closer. Yeah. It's almost time. I was, well, see, that's what I was going to say. I always, when I was younger and, and up there and going to the, to the expo, of course, Gator racing news was always the, the sponsor. And I still, to this day, miss Gator. Um, and, uh, I miss, I miss all that. Yes. The Patrick's were awesome people and they just love the sport. And, and Gator was, was a, a great newspaper for a long time. And I was blessed and to be able to be a part of it. Fun fact, fun fact. That is how you got the promotional name. Oh, nice. I used to work for them. When I was working for them, everyone started calling me Gator boy. Interesting. And then I went to Gator and then I was trying, you know, the, the race, it was getting really, really well known with traction and all that and i'm like well i don't want it i don't want it to be just jody london i'm like i, I need a promote a promotional thing to you know separate it and i was trying to think of everything in the world and i just looked at my nickname of gator boy and i just took the the a and the e out and it just became gtr there we go see you learn <laughs> something new every day on the group that's really cool i love that that's tied to sort of a personal uh personal i, lo- I love wor- i love working with jack I love yeah. I love the group. They they are they were awesome people. I worked for them for three years, and it was just it was great. It was they loved yeah, me, and it, I love them. It, I always looked at the show as kind of the um the the unofficial start of the local racing season because, like you said, it's the place where you finally get to see some of the new cars. You get to pick up all the schedules and and maybe meet some drivers and, you know, just really kind of get into the racing spirit again. And shoot, we're almost uh, halfway through March already. So um, I know it, you know, it's uh, from a weather standpoint, it doesn't always get racing friendly till maybe even May, but at least um, you kind of begin the buildup from this show. So that's cool that you're able to be there and be a part of it. But here's what I want to talk about. I do want to talk about GTR promotions. And I I want to talk about what you're doing this year. And, and that needs a little bit of background because for those who maybe, you know, aren't regular listeners of this show and, and aren't necessarily in regular followers of Oswego, you've been promoting the Dave London Memorial street stock race for the last few years there it happens on classic Friday and is a huge part of the weekend. A couple of years ago, a few years ago, you decided that you were going to bring a big sportsman modified 
race to the Speedway um, and you planned that out and it built it up and, you know, you got uh, 30 plus, I think, uh, or whatever. It was a huge and every single year you've tried to have this race. It's rained out um, and and you haven't been able to hold it. And so you also introduced the um, front wheel drive cars, compact touring series to the Speedway on Classic Weekend. So you've done a lot of, you've brought a lot of different things to the track, which I personally love. Now, this year, it looks like we're going to move the modified projected date from uh, July to Classic Saturday to pair it with the NASCAR Wheelin modified tour. And, um, of course, you've got the, the Dave London Memorial on Friday. Um, so talk a little bit about um, what's what this year with the change and all of that, what's different, and, um, and, and kind of just touch on the, especially the compact series and the modified event. We all know the history of, and we'll get to some, some uh, super stock talk in a minute, but talk about uh, what's going on this year for you there. Well, th- this year, you know, it's, I, for how I work, I don't like to do everything the same every year. Everything, if you have, if you really follow close, every year something is different. Well, okay. you know whether it's you know the way we do lineups and all all that, it, something changes every year because I'm not satisfied, unfortunately. Yep. So this year, you know, the compacts are back for two nights. They, you know, f- Friday, you know, it it's ten- right now. It's tentative, tentative, ten- I can't say that word. Tentatively. 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 Yeah. There you go. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I got we have them tentatively <laughs> yes. For Friday and the way it's set up. They are racing Friday, but the setup for that day is a it's gonna be a dual event. Okay. Now my, my theory from last year was we had a shocking amount of forty plus compacts to show up. And that I'm like, wow, you know, everyone why, went, wow. Why were you, I went, why were I you went, wow. shocked by that? Because I honestly thought when you announced it originally, the first year you get 50 plus. Um, I just felt like the, you know, the fact that it's classic weekend in Oswego, a big track, just like, you know, for the super stocks, it's a super speedway. Basically i I thought, well, gosh, these things will come from all over the place. So I, I wasn't surprised at all to see over 40. Why did that surprise you? So the issue, the issue is in the racing for the compacts is each region. If you want to break it down, like, so say you have the Buffalo region, you uh-huh. have like little quotation, Syracuse, yep. Rochester, North country region, each, each group of cars are built to those tracks ah. and they, and they don't necessarily go to bigger tracks. Okay. So we have also like the PA guys, they run on nothing but a quarter mile, quarter mile to a three eighths. Gotcha. You go to Oswego and they're, 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 they're not nervous of the speed. They're scared of the competition. And it's not, not in the bad way. Like, oh, they're not afraid to go race you. They're afraid that they're not going to be competitive to race. Gotcha. So my, my, so the extra work is you got to come. You're not going to know if, unless you get there. And they all complained all the way there, you know, all like, oh, yeah, you know, we'll go there. We're, you know, we'll just finish last, but we'll have a fun time. They got there. Everyone 
ran in the top 10 and did better than they actually thought. Okay. Which bring which brings them all back. And my response to them is you just got to go to see where you're at. If, That's right. If it's horrible, yeah. if it's bad. Okay. So, but that was the reason for why, you know, why it's been a steady buildup because seeing is believing you have to prove the doubters wrong and everyone in, in racing, even the guys are in competition. They, they doubt it just because, you know, they're just used to the shorter tracks. Sure. Oswego, you get one chance a year. So you, they don't like, you have no proof of what happened in the past. Now we have a track record, you know, Corey Edelman is my favorite person in the world because he proved my theory, right? He said, I'm going to take this Dodge Neon and I'm going to go finish last with it because I don't have, you know, the power of ponies to keep up with everyone. First year out, finishes fourth. Wow. And I, and I go and I go up to him. I'm like, so I'll see you next year. He gets out of there and he goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, that's what it should be about, because I feel like that the 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 coolest part about Classic Weekend has always been whether it's the super modifieds or the modifieds. And I'm going back now to the very beginning when I started in the early seventies. Um, it was always the best of the best. You get cars coming from all over the place and had never been to a Swigo before and probably really didn't necessarily have the equipment to compete there. But there were two things that brought them. Number one was just the, the mystique and the, um, prestige of the race. This was, you know, basically the Indy 500 of the East for the supers. And it was, um, for the modifieds, it was always, you know, even if it wasn't NASCAR sanctioned, it was still one of the bigger races on the schedule and it paid well. Um, so it brought tons of cars. Well, you know, you bring these other divisions in like yours. So the super stocks, the compacts, you know, even the sportsman modifieds, this is like an all-star event. This everybody shows up and I feel like it should be a draw for those reasons. And when you see somebody like that, that, like you say, thought that, oh, I don't have a chance, but I'll go um, and check it out. And then turns out he runs top five. Well, gosh, that's that's like a win to somebody like that because of the size of the stage, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, it, it's funny. You, ju- you just have to say Oswego. It's yeah. Oswego Speedway. Yeah. Just go. Yep. And, and the name the name of it carries so much. It's us. We go, they only yep. run super modified. So they don't, nothing else really comes in. Well, you get, uh, I go to a mug, you get one shot at it, guys. That's right. I'm going to have fun. And, and they go like a lot of guys say, Oh, we're not going to be competitive at all. And now the guys that went there this past year, which, you know, we all, we almost doubled the field from yep. the previous year. Yep. So you, you go from that and the guy, you know, the group convinced, the secondary group that came in this year, like you just got to come, you just got to come. Yeah. Like you, you, you won't, you won't believe it until you experience it. So they come and they do the whole thing. Now those guys that came this year goes, Oh my God, what have we been missing all this and it, time? You know, and yep. now, and now they're telling all their buddies and all their dirt buddies. And it just, it's, I call it the tsunami effect. And like you plant the small, the small bomb goes off there and the, the tidal wave just built builds up. Yeah, and then it it comes flooding into to Oswego, and I think I think it's the great because now all everyone, it's the experience, it's the event, it's everything, and they have fun at the end of the day. 
Well, and, and, I, so, and that's what I care about the most. So talk about what the schedule is going to be like then on Friday. Um, and then also, of course, on Saturday, I, I, everybody knows that you're paired with the, the wheeling tour on Saturday with the, uh, the, the sport mod race, but talk about, you know, kind of what that's all going to be like and how it's going to play out on Friday. It's going to be on Friday. It's business as usual. You got the headliner, the Dave London Memorial, four grand to win, 400 to take the green. And with the compacts, it's a dual situation. You're going to have two features, both 20 laps. Top top 12 from each race, lock into Saturday's race. But each race pays 500 to win for each duel. Okay. So, the- so they, they lock in to Saturday, top 12 lock in. And then we move to Saturday. We get the debut finally. After so many years of trying, <laughs> we get the debut of the XMR Sportsman Modified Race, DCR Performance 40, and they're going to go off a of four grand to win, 400 to take the green also. And the compacts come back, and they're going to run their Concy for 16 laps, and then they go right into the, you know, the A main. Okay, so the for compacts. A thousand, for about 1,000 to win. So that's a two-day show. The compacts. Okay. See, I didn't realize that. So that's, that's actually going to be even more interesting because you've got your, your super stocks that become the headline class for Friday, which they have been. Um, Correct. But there's no um, fast Friday this year because everything's being done on Sunday. Um, Correct. So it's basically all about the super stocks and the compact qualifying on Friday. And then the compacts come back on Saturday with the, uh, the sportsman modifieds and of course the wheel and tour and they get a nice big stage to run their a main on um you know during the day on saturday and so all of that basically becomes quite different from what um we've had on classic weekend before the 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 super classes the 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 three super modified divisions really don't have much going on um, until a uh, classic day on Sunday and that, which makes Sunday even bigger. And, uh, hopefully the weather's good all weekend. Cause now there's more packed into the day on Sunday than there usually has been, but it'll, um, be, it'll be good. It'll be good. Weather. Yeah. I believe it. I love, I love the schedule and I love now what are the, I'm curious, what are the drivers saying about this change? Because you guys basically it's your show for a day and a half. For the sport mods, it was a little tough for the guys because most of them are racing the night before at uh, Spencer Speedway. But oh, the, that's there right. are a lot of guys like we're we're going, you know we're yeah. they're going to be there. No one, no one has wavered from the group from Good. the thirty from the oh god thirty eight forty cars that registered. Okay, you know uh, you know ninety percent of them are back. Okay, and I said no, we're we're committed, we're coming. Good. You know, this is, this is, you know, it's, it's now not just become like, we want to race, not just, we want to race this, but we want to race this because, you know, you've been committed so long to this and haven't stopped. So it's like, you know, now it's more of a joint effort with everyone. Like, you know, if going from a race to like a group of people saying, we want this to happen. See, I think it would be really interesting if there were a bonus, if somebody could win both races. That would be interesting. The downside to that is there's no overlap, no real overlap from from the wheeling guys. 
Well, no, what I was talking about was if oh, you could win it, Spencer. Old, uh, and, yeah, no, no. If you could win it, Spencer, on Friday, and then Oswego uh, on Saturday, and the Sport Mod is what I was talking about. Oh, God, wow. That that would be an interesting, because it's also a way to, to, to get more guys to, you know, to. but if everybody is, is saying they're going to show up anyway, because I feel like that makes it a really big weekend for that class in general, because you haven't got just one marquee event. You've got two back to back and the sport mod classes, you know, the, the sport mod class doesn't necessarily get that type of big stage all the time. Um, so I feel like that just makes it a really cool one, two punch. And it would be, it would be awesome to see, um, you know, a bonus for, um, you know, for winning both or best average finish, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, something that would tie the two events together to make them both even bigger. I, yeah, I, and I, and I stretch and I say, you know, I say this the kindest ways and all and, and everything, the sportsman class on asphalt has carried at local asphalt racing on their backs for the past. For sure. Yeah. For the past 15 years, 15, 16 years. And they, you know, some nights they're the headliners and, but most nights it's always, you know, the, the tour mods that show up, uh, 12 times a year. Right. You know, in in a, in a tour race. And, and it's like, man, you know, the sport mod got, they deserve this. They, they, they deserve this 10 years ago. And, you know, this is now, now they're going to, they're going to get it. They're going to get the, you know, the big payday on a big stage and everything. And it's going to, it's going to be great for them. I'm really happy for them. This is just, you know, it's awesome. In a, in a way as a promoter, um, who's doing basically all of those shows, I mean, all the classes, all three of them, um, it, does this make it a little bit easier for you too, in a way, because you, you've got all of it focused on one weekend where you can kind of just, um, you know, kind of just work that instead of having stuff scattered throughout the season. I want to say yes and no. It's, I was more burnt out last year because we did the back to back. And it was just each day was just as long as the previous. Sure. And I go from Wednesday, so from Wednesday to Saturday night, I'm full bore yeah. the whole way. Yeah. So when I wake up, classic Sunday, um, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm shot. Um, I'm, I'm hurting pretty bad. So you know, you put all the all into that. I, if it was spread out, it'd probably be a little easier on me. But you know, get it all done on a weekend. I, you know, that's that's very that's very doable. It's just more stress, you know. Yeah, but you're there anyway. I feel like it, and it feels to me like as a fan, for again looking at it in an insider for all those divisions, um, you know, Classic Weekend is as big as it gets. And you know, I mean, could you ever have dreamed that you you would be in this situation to basically um, own almost a day and a half, basically of, of classic weekend at Oswego and not be promoting super modifieds. I could tell you back in 2016, I was sitting, I was sitting at home. I might've been talking to Danny K messaging him or when he was, uh, in charge at the time Still in Oswego, or, yeah. I, or I was talking to Paul at that time. Okay. I, you know, I was, I was messaging emailing us we go speedway at that point i just didn't, don't know who was in charge at that moment mm-hmm. but i you know i was talking to them they knew of the race and i'm like man that'd be be really cool to get her there you know we've worked hard i'm not 
you know, I'm not comfortable where I'm at anymore. It's just, you know, I, I really want something that can, you know, really up it for the, for the guys and make this more special and meaningful for the guys. And then I'll, you know, then two years later, you know, we had the talk, it happened. They said, Oh, we want, we want you on, you know, on classic weekend on, on Friday, classic weekend. And I, 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 I think I joked when I told uh, Chuck. <laughs> I think I actually told him to shut up because he was. I thought he was messing with me, and he goes, "No, we're, we're serious." And and I kind of, you know, I started dancing at work, and I that my foreman, my foreman yelled at me. And it, it's so it was two degrees, by the way, when when we got the phone call, and I'm there in in, in coveralls and everything, and I'm doing a jig out on the side street, and you know, trapped. So it was bad. You know, he's honking the horn. It was, it was bad. So, you know, we get there and, you know, yeah, short, short version. I couldn't have imagined that I am where I am at now. You know, it's, it's a lot of hard work to get where you're at and you always remember where you started. And I pre, you know, I appreciate where I came from and all that. And I, and I don't, you know, and I don't, I, and I don't forget where I, I came from at all. And it's just, you know, I'm very grateful to where I'm at right now. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in a very happy spot right now. So I, I've been with Oswego for five years. You know, if we don't, you know, even though it's only our fourth race with Oswego, yeah. you know, because of COVID, yeah, well, you know, and rain well, outs. you know, we're still working with them on and on 2020. So this is my fifth year at the track, and I'm I'm very proud of that. So for any of if any of you listening to this have any friends in the industry that creates such things, and you want to make a whole bunch of money. What you need to do is get said friend to create a dancing Jody bobblehead doll. That's that's what we need. That thing would be a million seller. Um, that's uh, <laughs> that's that's great. No, it's it, and it and it's it is interesting because I feel it's funny you say you know you've been five years and only four races in. You know you're about three or four behind, right? Because that doggone modified thing keeps getting postponed. Oh um, yeah, it's like the debut. Like right now we'd be at we'd be on the fifth. You know, yeah. Right now. I'd be talking to you like, hey, you know, we're almost at five right now. Yeah. What a thought. No. Hey, <laughs> hey, Tom, right now we're going to have the first one. We've been oh, saying, boy. you know, it's such it, a, oh, it's it's just, just such heartbreak going on with all that. It's just, I'm, I'm happy, you know, we're, we're in good spots for this one and it's, it's yeah. going to happen. Oh, I think it's going to be great. Um, how many cars do you think we'll, we'll see uh, for that modified show on Classic? I would, I would can, expect 30 plus. Yeah, that's what I would think too. Now, how easy I'm is happy, it? I'm happy with the full field of 24. You know, uh, I, I always like to say, you know, set, set the bar low, just a little low. Like give them enough to be happy. That way, you have something to build yeah. off of. Yeah, Because if sure. I show up there and we have fifty, and then I'll, and then I, you know, then I'm like, well, now is that now everything's gonna be worse because now they're gonna, you know, then they're gonna expect fifty. Well, that's I feel so. like sort of the 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 super stock deal. You had like forty seven out of the box, and it was kind oh, of like Jesus God, nowhere, <laughs> nowhere, nowhere to go but down. Right, that's the trouble with I, I was I so been, much expectations for those. <laughs> been reading a book about um from, from about Rush, and and one of the things t- it, it talks about the fact that once you have a number one hit, which Rush never did, and they were okay with that because once you hit a number one. There's nowhere to go down. It's yeah, so... no, yeah. There's nowhere to go. <laughs> so they were always Avis. You know, we're number two, and they were sort of this. But yeah, I feel like um, I feel like you get forty-seven, you start thinking fifty plus, and then I mean, it's hard to get fifty of anything in one place yeah. in racing anymore, other than maybe you know um, dirt modifieds or something, because there's just a, a crap ton of those all over the place up there. But um... and, and it's and it's always the roll of the dice. 
especially uh, I want to say on asphalt, even to get like, we got close. We had, you know, in 2019, we had 47 super stock. Yeah. And 2022, we had 40, 46 super stocks. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I take a lot of pride with this past year because this was the first time we were fully independent. Right. You know, we didn't have a sanctioning body. Exactly. This was the first full GTR show. So, we, you know, starting off at 46, that, that, that was great. But I've been chasing, I've been chasing 50 since 2016. Wow. Yeah. And well. that, I, I like, I, I'll feel, I feel I've done something correct if I can get the 50, but it's always a roll of the dice because you don't know how the year will play out for the driver sure. themselves. You know, it, it's always based on how the driver is, which, you know, they could have, a lot of them could have great years. A lot of them could have bad years. And I think and, that 50, and, and that happens, you know, guys go does. through like three motors, like, Hey, I can't make it. You know, you know, I hurt the wall too hard. And then, you know, like, Hey man, you know, I've, I've seen what you're going through. That's fine. Just come on up and I'll buy you a beer. Yeah. Yeah, I think I feel like 50 is sort of like if you if you hit 50, um, it's great. But I feel like, you know, anything, you know, 35 to 40 plus you're you've got a great show on pavement, no matter what it is you're running. If you can get that many cars of one type in one place, you're doing really, really well. And you've been um, very consistent with the super stocks and obviously the compacts. uh you know, this, this last one was, was really awesome. And, Jeez, yeah. you know, Sorry. and, and so if you get the modifieds, if you get 30 modifieds, um, or above as far, I mean, think about it. If you, if you have 40, uh, 40 super stocks and, 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 and maybe you hit 40 compacts again, that's 80, you get 30 modifieds. You just put 110 cars in the Oswego Speedway pit area on classic weekend. That's pretty doggone good, my friend. Yeah. I, it's, it's pretty fun, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's pretty. It's a lot. It's stressful, but it's it gets it's very fun. You know, when when you finally get them there and on the track and they're racing, that for me, then that's when I cr- I, I guess I crack the smile yeah. when the green flag finally fla- flies for the feature. It's like sure, all yeah. right, all right, good. You know, I've done. You know, here's the payoff. You know, all the hard work is the payoff. Right. You can sit so back it, at that point awesome. and just watch it happen because your work is basically done for the most part for a while till it's till it's over. Um, but that's yeah, like you said, that's the um, that's the that's the payoff. So, um, all right. So, talk about some of the the sponsors, the people who are important to putting these things on because you know, I mean, without them, you got no shows. So, um, you can do all the work you want, but if you don't have them, uh, the support, then you got nothing. So. Talk about the worst, uh, the worst part is I'm going to forget. I know. So I was putting stickers on on plates and the cars today. <laughs> and I, I didn't realize, like I always say, you know, I, I know I have a lot of sponsors, but I don't, it doesn't never really kick in until they right. like get all pushed together. And so I, um, I have a lot of people that are invested into the race and into what I do and the belief in what we do for the event. And, you know, I, I'm I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky. I'm I'm so grateful because without without them, it's just you know, it's just a race. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, uh, Mid State Basement Authority, they're the top spot. They believe in me very very hard, very hard. And I you know I I do everything I can to keep their name out. And they you know they you know they appreciate that too. Mid State Doug Rayom from you know former small block super modified driver. Yes, the sponsor is the title sponsor for. 
the Sport Mod Race on Saturday at Oswego. Nice. And his uh, company, DCR Performance, you know, he's a very bit, you know, very, he's been dedicated to that Sport Mod Race just as much as I am. Every year he goes, don't worry, I'm I'm sticking with you no matter what. <laughs> and and he's still and he's still here with me. Good. You know, you know, he's been getting the best free advertising in the world, but he's still with he's, <laughs> well, that's he's why still he with sticks me. with you. It doesn't cost him anything. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, great for business. We all know Doug's just cheap. Panic just out kidding, of Buffalo Doug. Yeah. With a rusty diamond course for the title sponsor for the compacts. He came Sweet. in and uh on the first year in 2020, 2021, and he loved it so much. He goes, I'm coming back. You know, I, I, I enjoyed what you do. And, you know, we just got a good working business relationship and it's really good. So those are the top, uh, those are the primary sponsors. got to get out of the way. Okay. So here, here we go. Here we go with the rest of them. I'm going to try not to forget. Hit them. I got to thank uh, Ken Tibbles Roofing out of the North Country area they, they've been with us since 2017 they've been with us i gotta thank cr1 contracting of rochester new york he's been with us since 2017 and he's actually been uh, a lower sponsor of last sponsors and bonus sponsors since 20 2007 i believe so he's actually one of the ogs if you if you want to call it and one of the originals okay. to the dlm uh we got cornerstone realty who actually was the last person to uh, one of the last people that got the race against dad and he uh you know has a wonderful uh, uh realty business so if you need you know you need a you know looking for a home out in the williamson new york area he's very popular out there nice we got a uh, chris zacharias at uh sign works okay uh scott scott adams at Hemographics, who does everything for me and why all my stuff looks amazing every time you know the banners stickers on your car scotty does amazing work we got Wicked Tees, who does all my fancy shirts the past two seasons, and they, they've been looking amazing. Performance Manufacturing out of Middleport, New York. You, best go-kart world in the company, and they, they make some pretty gnarly parts as well. Okay. And they've been, you know, we've been, you know, I, I don't know many Jodies in the racing business, but that is the one one of them that I know, and I'm I'm, pro, I'm happy to be working with them. Nice. Uh, we got uh, 716 Stump Grinding. We got uh, now. I'm gonna lose it. I'm gonna lose it. Ugh. Old man engineering, which is a tribute to the Bainbridge family. Oh yeah. We got uh, we got Lazaro Performance out of Williamson, New York. We got John Bentlam Heating and Cooling out of Rochester. We got oh boy. See now, now I'm trying to think of everything, and this is a struggle here. Well, what you learn is always have a list, Andy, when you're going to do a show. I should, I should have a list. That'd be, that'd be so much better. Keep a oh, list. Oh God, Fred's Garage out of out of Scottsville, New York. Oh, we Butler Built Performance. They have come on, and this is a great sponsor for all the guys in both classes. Top ten out of finishers from each event, each each main event goes into a lottery to win a free seat nice you know and that and i and i love the safety aspect you know so you know it's a free seat and it, it's it's great you know and it's not just not you know it's a it's a full container yeah butler's you know, been uh, they were the original butler's been around forever yeah with, with that yeah <laughs> so, i mean that that is just perfect yep oh geez who else well yeah i mean I think that might be Oswego Speedway for everything that dude David David Whit, Whitney Productions. You know they make the great hype videos for 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 the event, and they 
they did an amazing job. Okay. Uh, God. Lincoln. I, I think that might be it. Well, that's probably not it. <laughs> well, I know it's probably not it, but that that's all I can remember at the moment. Let me ask you this: Do you have do you have uh, do you have a page everybody can go to website whatever where people can you see can them all? GTRpromotions.com to find out, go. or you can follow us on GTR Promotions on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. There you go. GTRpromotions.com is where to go. Jody London is one of the hardest working promoters I know and uh, have mad respect for you, sir, because you have put together three awesome events that are all going to be now converging on the same big weekend at the Oswego Speedway. It's classic weekend. It's way more than super modifieds now. And honestly, there might have been a time in my life when I would have scoffed at that. Now I love it. And, uh, and all of your divisions put on a great show. It makes great uh, TV as well. Um, live streaming on flow. Uh, but, uh, thanks for taking some time out of the show to, uh, to, to chat with us here for a groove and, uh, let you get back to seeing the people. Cause that's what, uh, what you're good at and what you need to do in order to get uh, interest in the race. So, uh, we'll catch up with you again, of course, uh, during the summer as it gets closer and, uh, updates are had about, uh, your shows on classic weekends. So thanks Jody. That is Jody London. And we'll I be do back. I do got to say one thing though. Yes, sir. Go ahead. I, I, I do got to add one thing though. And I, I want, you know, since all the Super Modified fans listen to the show and everything, and it's the real niche for the track and all the Super Modifieds, these guys don't just come here because it's great pain race and, you know, the name the name of the DLM and yeah. the compacts and the sport mods. Yeah. It's not it's not just that. You, when you talk to them and and, you know, they talk to their friends and they all come, there's only one thing they say. Yes, we go. Exactly. And yep. that, that, that thing, that name, that track carries so much weight to it. Absolutely. Yep. They, they go, they, they all say, who cares how, how you do? It's us. We go. Absolutely. It's, and at the end of the day, that's, that's what it's exactly about. Exactly what we that talked track, about. That is the gem of New York. At the top of the show, for sure. We'll be back yeah. with more of the groove right after this. Experience the age-old Irish hospitality at LaGroff's Pub and Grill, Oswego's premier local spot to grab a cold one and cheer on your favorite sports teams. Stop in for an ice-cold beer alongside some exceptional pub fare. Burgers, wings, chicken sandwiches, Philly cheesesteaks, soups, and more. You want it, they've got it, served up with more than 40 years of awesome customer service. Have a friendly game of darts against players from across the world. That's right, players from across the world. Where else in Oswego can you go to play darts against somebody from across the world? That's crazy. Watch the games on their eight big screen TVs or just relax at Oswego's neighborhood bar and grill. LaGroff's Pub, 187 East 10th Street in Oswego. Check them out on LaGroff's.com. Welcome back to the Inside Groove as we continue with episode number 114. Let's uh, do a little breaking news here. So uh, just after I finished the interview with Jody London, Jody got notified uh, that the compact cars 
um, are actually running only on Friday on Classic Weekend. So the way the weekend now breaks out, it will be um, practice from noon to two on Friday for all super modified divisions, which basically means it's a one day show for the fans because all the qualifying and racing happens on Sunday. But um, for the teams, if you want the extra practice, you still have a three day weekend. Um, so that's noon to two on Friday. And then, uh, they will, um, get the supers out, get the, um, super stocks and the compact cars in start practice, qualify and run their mains on Friday. So Saturday now is all about modifieds, uh, the sport mods, um, and the NASCAR wheel and modified tour running on Saturday. And then the supers have all day Sunday, I'm sure there'll be a little more practice and then, of course, qualifying and all of the racing. So uh, we basically now have um, a Fast Friday, a Fender Friday, a Modified Saturday, and a Super Sunday for Classic Weekend. All right, so that's how that shapes up. It is time now for What's in a Number and... Of course, we have a pair of numbers once again to look at on this show and talk about their relevance in Oswego Speedway and Super Modified history. And I'm just, I know already that this segment, we're going to split this up. We're going to do number five, and then we'll uh, let you hear from one of our great supporters, and then we'll go to number 14, because... (laughs) Uh, it's, it's going to be a while, I think on the five, right? Um, because why? Because at Bally and Bally racing, that's why the flying five, um, has had a tremendous history. Now I do believe that back in the fifties and maybe early sixties, there were, I'm sure somebody was five. Um, and I know that there was a bingo five that raced, and my brain will not let me recall the driver. I, I can't remember if it was, maybe it was Lee Bliss or somebody like that. But um, I know there was a bingo five at one point, I think. And I think there was also a bingo 151. Um, I, but again, you all will correct me. So, um we'll just sort of leave that as I vaguely remember reading about, cause that was obviously way before my time. Um, when I first started going in 1973, the flying five had been flying around the Oswego speedway for a number of years already. And, uh, I, I th- back in the sixties at some point, Ed Bowley first brought the car up and, um, I know there were a number of drivers uh, that, you know, that drove that car in that time period. Um, And I'll try to name as many as I can. I'm probably going to miss a few again before my time. I'm trying to recall from programs, right? Um, I know that Bentley Warren had an early stint and may have been one of Ed's first drivers at Oswego, one of the first. Um, I... I think Ronnie Wallace may have also had a, a stint back in the sixties in the five. Um, Barry can, I think 
was in the five for a bit. Um, of course, uh, Red Sequin was, he lost his life driving the, the, the flying five sometime. I think that was later sixties. Um, and gosh, I know there were others and I'm, I'm just not gonna, not gonna get them all, but this is okay because this is where, um, some of the folks here who are slightly more seasoned and, and experienced <laughs> than me as, as fans of the Oswego Speedway will be able to fill in some gaps from the sixties and the flying five. Cause I know there were at least two or three that I haven't named, but Ed started coming in the mid sixties. And, and then it was, um, it was in the seventies that, um, I think 72 was the year that Ed bought the Swift car that Nolan had run, uh, the previous few seasons and a couple of seasons, um, or maybe just in 72. I can't remember if that car came out in 71 or 72 that he won the, his last classic with in 72. But anyway, Ed, I believe bought that car. I think that car was brand new, right? Yeah, it was in, in, in 72. Um, and Ed bought the previous car, I believe. And so, um, anyway, he got the Swift car and Don McLaren drove it and Don won a couple races with it and did very, very well. And that was, um, that was where I think, and again, I, I may be wrong about this too, but I think that was where the flying five, the, the beautiful stars and stripes and, oh my gosh, that car every year was just too pretty to race and too fast not to, right? But, um, Don McLaren did a great job with it, um, Ran it in 72, and then in the beginning of 73, I'm not sure why Don didn't come back. I don't know, you know, what the circumstances were that led to him not returning as the driver, but at the beginning of the year, I think Norm Macrath drove it for a short time, and, um, you know, I was trying to think about this because when I first started going in 73, and I think Mike... Silliman and I figured out on, on the show he was just on. I think we figured it was late May. And um and and I'm not sure. I think maybe Norm might have been in the in the car at that point. Um and I think maybe Gary Albritton had a week or so in it when Norm was hurt. Um no, that wouldn't have been 73. That would have been two. That probably would have been 74 or five actually. Um, but anyways, I, I, I remember Ronnie Wallace driving it and Ronnie, of course he went from the 10 pins to the five. Um, and so he, um, he finished the year in 73 in the flying five. So I don't really quite know there may have been another driver or two in the car that I'm, I'm just not thinking of in the beginning part of that year. But, um, I do think I remember Norm racing it once or twice. Um, and, uh, and then, um, he took over full time in 1974. And again, I'm not sure why Ron didn't stay with the car. It was kind of interesting looking back that, you know, you have a driver like Don McLaren 
or Ron Wallace, a driver of that caliber, and it's kind of one and done, one and done sort of thing. I mean, Don won a couple features for him, right? Um, I'm not sure Ron, Ron didn't win any races, but I think he had some decent runs with the car. Um, so 74 rolled around and I do believe that Norm Macrath took over in 74 and he was with Bali for, let's see, um, the next, so 74, 75, and the new Limblad came out in that period. They bought a Limblad Roadster that came out in, I think, probably either 75 or 76. I think it was 76 because I think it carried the spirit of 76 colors. Um, and Norm had, again, Norm had a tremendous amount of success in the car um, and, and was a contender for most of that period. Of course, the older car, I think, it got to a point where it just got a little antiquated, you know, the, the technology and, and uh, whatnot had, had sort of surpassed it a bit. And so that was why the Limblad and the Limblad car was fast. Um, and I know that Norm had a couple of podiums with it, but uh, don't believe he won any features with it either at a Swiggo or elsewhere. And, and then I think he, I think that he ran maybe through 70, the end of 76 before he, he bought his own car. He bought a Holinsky car and one of the old Holinskys for 1977. And I think Todd Gibson went through it. And that was when the, the, the five started the year, um, in 77, it was, they changed the color to red. Um, and had sort of this, I'm not even sure really what the, the scheme was, was meant to be or whatever, but it was this deeper red color. Um, Armin Holly, I think if I remember right, Armin Holly started the year in the car, but didn't stay in it. Um, and let's see, um, I think Gary Albritton, that was when Gary came in. And didn't he, there was some, I'm trying to think how this went. I think that the rumor was he was going to take over for Nolan Swift and the 10 pins and, and he ended up in the five. It was, it was interesting. Cause I think I remember Ivor, the driver Caruso. <laughs> we all know, I think by now that George Jr. Was Ivor. Um, Ivor, the driver uh, talking about Gary, being fitted for the 10 pins as a rumor. And the next thing you know, he's in the five. So um, it, it's interesting how the, the, the 10 and the five in different ways over the years, those two teams, those two groups of people have intersected, but um, I'm not sure that there was ever any truth to the rumor about Gary and the 10, but it was, a, it was certainly an interesting rumor and boy, you wonder, um, you know, what, what could that have been? But anyways, Gary, um, Gary, didn't he win a heat his first, like right off the bat? I think he did. I think he, I remember him winning his first heat race in the car. And, um, and then it began kind of this run where, you know, there were, there's, there appeared to be some, some inherent issues with the Limblad car. Um, and it would, Gary said when, when I interviewed Gary on the show, uh, a while back, Gary said that it would just swap ends on him. 
it, you know, and, and he said it seemed like it was, you know, in in turn three, turn three and four, that it was it was kind of at its at its worst. And it would just swap ends. And, and you know, he um, he had several crashes with the car and and um, but he was fast and they they brought eventually they brought the show car for their they I don't know I guess I don't know if it was a a show car if the first car that they came out with in what was it 79 78 79 was a show car or if they built it themselves but um but they um again Gary was very fast he just he just didn't just never want to feature with with the car and um then I think as we got into the early eighties, Bentley Warren drove it, drove the show car. Cause I think there was, there were two cars. There was the car that their first offset car. And I'm not sure if they built it or they bought it from show car. And then that second one, I think was a show car. And that car was the car that Bentley started driving. Maybe it was 1980. He drove it a bit and then went back to his car and Dave Thomas took over. And then, gosh, who else did we have in there? Mike McLaughlin, I think, was somewhere in there. I think Thomas might have driven it um, in 80, what would that be, one? And then in 82, maybe. And then, um, gosh, let me think. Then in 83, I think, would have been when Mike drove it just for a part of the year. And I think he ran classic with it, if I'm not mistaken. And then there was 1984 and that, that was when Ed Bowley decided to buy the Hevron LaProd car. The first one that was built originally for the 1980 season that had won the 81 and 82 classic and track championship. And um, of course, Bentley won in 83 with the newer of the two Hevron LaProd cars. Um won the championship and Eddie Bellinger won the classic that year. Um, but so this was the first offset LaProd car that uh, Bally bought and Bentley Warren ended up as the driver. And we all know what happened there. It, it, that, that just Bentley had a whole new career, a whole new chapter of his career in, in that car. And of course that started uh, a couple of years previous when he ran it part-time for the Hevrons. Um, and then 83, almost full-time, he started, I think, at Port City or maybe the week after and went from the older car to the newer car when Doug came back after his Indy injury, et cetera. We all know that story. So the, 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 the second or third stint that Bentley had with Bali was incredible. I mean, the, the Flying Five won everywhere and just about everything. It won the Triple Crown. He might have done it twice, actually. I don't know. But he, 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 I know he won the triple crown once. I think it was 84 when he did it. Um, just a ton of races, ton of success. Um, it was a great team and it lasted straight through. What would it have been? So 87, cause that's when they added the newer of the two have around the prod cars to their, to their, uh, stable and they needed it because that wasn't it. The te- yes, the $10,000 to win race that year was when Bentley, um, when, when Bentley and Doug Havron ended up just destroying the third turn wall. Um, and 
I mean, it was it was incredible. Honestly, um, that crash was just bone jarring. You could tell just watching it. They were battling for the lead, and um, it it was it was. I think somebody somebody blew a motor. I think, and they just got the oil at full speed, and you know, and again, no foam back then. I don't think. Um, so it it really bent up the 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 main flying five. So that was, which was, as I said, the earlier of the two, the first of the two offset have around the Prague cars that Doug debuted in 1980. So they parked that one, brought out the newer of the two that they purchased from Denny Wheeler and um, Bentley won some more. And then I think it was at the end of that season that they parted ways and Bowley ended up, um, I think that may have, that was, I believe, the last full-time season that the Bollies ran. Um, I think Mike Ordway came back in the car a year or two later, or whatever for, for the classic, maybe three years later. I don't know. Um, but came back for the, for the classic in maybe 88 or 89. And I don't think he qualified it. Um, and that was it. And then it's, it made very sporadic appearances after that. I think Joe Gozik drove it a time or two with a wing. I don't think he ever raced it at the Swigo. Um, and then that car ended up back in Hevron Colors. And that was the car that Doug came back in. And oh boy, here we go. 2000 and. Six, I think, was the year that he finished third with it. Um, brought the the donkey to the Kentucky Derby and finished third, as as uh, as Clyde Booth put it at the time. And I think that was the last time that car has seen action, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think it was the last time, and um, it was '01 then, I think, because I think somebody else was was won by then. Um, but uh, it was that. That the the Bowie Flying Five was an iconic. That's this is one of those. You know, there are certain numbers, eight, you know, ten, nine, you know, um, five. Um, I guess you could argue six for Irish Jack Murphy and the Shamrock Six for the very early period that he was one of the kind of dominant cars. Um, but the Flying Five was an iconic car and number i mean it was it the bollies have had an amazing history i'm hoping that someday perhaps tom will agree to sit down and 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 tell us his the story from his uh perspective because i'd love to have him on a show um and you know it would be very interesting i know that he still has both of the haveron cars um and there was talk of putting the older one back together. Um, and, you know, I, I thought actually, I think, I think Doug Heverin and I have talked about this a little bit and it, it would be cool to have half of it be the five and half be the one. I just think that would be a lot of fun to do. Um, but it was um, my gosh. I mean, those, those cars, such history and, um, and, and, and Bali racing was, I just I could stare at at those cars all day, especially the 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 schemes back in the the mid early mid seventies with the stars and stripes on them. Just absolutely beautiful 
cars that you just knew that, you know, care had been taken, right? Even down to the paint. And that and it was paint back then, which makes it even more remarkable. So, um, and then um, after the Bowies, uh, I know that um, was his, there was an Isma car that ran, I think, a, a show or two at Oswego as five in him. I, I want to say it was Jeff Capretto, but I'm probably wrong about that. This is where I start, um, the, the, the data starts jumbling in my head. And I remember, of course, Timmy Guru running the five, um, running as, as five for a number of years. And Timmy had a great career at Oswego while he was running. Um, he ran, what, Howie Page cars, right? Yeah. Um, he had a couple of them, I think. And so... Um, let's see. So Timmy, Timmy would have been the last, um, five that makes a, a major impact for me. Um, as far as, uh, gosh, is there anybody today using it? I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> and this is where I, you know, I look silly because it's, it's hard. Sometimes I have to really think about who's still racing at Oswego and then figure out their number. Um, I don't think there is a five right, right at this moment, but, um, oh, there was also Jim Rogers had a number five. Yeah. He had a, a Graves car and had, uh, so this would have been what before guru, right? Yeah. This would have been, so that would make it what middle, late eighties who drove for him. Um, I think Kenny Williamson was the first one, wasn't he? Uh, Kenny, I think. And then, uh, gosh, Mike Muldoon, right. Um, did Bobby Smith ever drive that car? I feel like maybe he did a little bit. I know he was in the 11. That was the, what, Crisetti car, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Smitty ever drove the, the five car, but but I know that I, I, I'm almost sure that Kenny was his first driver, and I think Mike Muldoon was, was uh, his next driver. And um, gosh, I don't know. There was, <laughs> I, I think maybe Smitty. I think I feel like there were maybe a third and possibly a fourth. Um, and did that car become the 11? Maybe did that car become the 11? Did Marty buy that car? I don't know. Um, I can't remember, but, um, but I know that that five existed as well. And, and, uh, I'll let y'all fill in the rest here. Uh, it, it, again, the, the, the history of the, to me, the, the five belongs to Ed Bowie and Tom Bowie and that whole group Bowie racing owns the five, as far as I'm concerned in, in a Swigo speedway and in, in, in super modified history. I think that's, that was one of those iconic cars. And, and we just all loved, um, we loved all of the people that were associated with it. Um, and we love seeing it run every week, no matter who was in it, because it was usually always fast. Um, and so, um, you know, that's one of those situations where I think you attach a number to to a, a certain car and a certain team, and it's kind of their number. So um, that's the five. Now we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about the 14 right after this on The Groove. Welcome back to the Inside Groove as we continue What's in a Number here on episode 114 and wow um just absolutely uh the 14 is one of those numbers that sort of sneaks up on you right um when you think about it i think a lot of us think of either 
Mike Schoberlein, who had the number for a few years in the late 70s. And I think if we think of Mike first, um, it would probably be partially because of the cars that Mike had. Mike started with a rear engine car that was this beautiful color green. Um, in fact, um, all of Mike's cars were green, um, which definitely uh, endeared me to him a little bit. Um, that's my favorite color. And it's St. Patrick's Day as I'm recording this, but you, you won't hear it until after. So I hope you all have had a happy St. Patrick's Day, right? Um, and uh, and enjoyed the uh, the holiday and celebrated responsibly. But um, back to Mike Shoreline. So I think... I think when you look at Mike, um, and we'll talk about the cars in more detail in a minute, but uh, I think that's one reason why Mike sort of stands out when we think of 14, but you can go all the way back to Art Bennett, I think, right? Was Art the one in the 14? Um, I think it was Art in the 14, and um, what was Johnny Benson? Was he 21, I think? Um Back in the the very early '60s, I mean, right among the first group of of um, what were then super modifieds that came to Oswego, um, I think uh, I think he was one of them. And now popping into my head, uh, and this is how you know, this is how my brain works nowadays. Nellie Ward was the Bingo Five, wasn't he? Wasn't that Nellie Ward? So anyway, back to the fourteen. Um, so I think our Bennett certainly has a rightful place um uh, in that in the 14 discussion um boy uh, who else was 14 i don't think there've been an awful lot of 14s at least there weren't in the very early days at oswego jim uh, martell was 14 right and uh scotty was was 14 jim and scott um, and if you think about that car, um, well, we'll get to that. Cause I think that was post Schoberlein. Um, let's go back to Mike for a minute. Cause I don't remember. I'm trying really hard to think if there was a, another 14 that was in the earlier part of the seventies when I started going and, and, um, I can't rightfully think of one until, until Schoberlein, which would have been, probably what 76 or seven somewhere in there 78 maybe um and and as i as i mentioned earlier his first car was actually a, a rear engine car that was put together at least in large part with parts left over from the freddie graves rear engine car that was the x andretti indy car um, that Freddie just destroyed in a, in a crash. What year? 74, I think maybe, um, with Warren Conium. I think that was, it turns one and two, I think is where they went into the wall. Um, and, and so that car, um, I thought that car was a, a neat looking car. It just didn't ever run too well. Uh, and I don't know, you know, what the reason was, but, um, but it was it was a it was a really cool looking car. Very, it seemed like a very short wheelbase car compared to some. But again, um, 
sometimes body work and especially when you when you put it put a car in a photo that's uh that can be misleading but it seemed like a, a shorter wheelbase car and so mike had that and then um he built and uh, again i'm trying to recall the year here i'm gonna say maybe it was for 79 he built a front engine offset car that he debuted it was mostly white with green trim and i just loved that car i love the cage on it i love the um the original sort of uh tail that he had on it i thought it was just a really cool it had a nice profile to it um and he started to run pretty good with it jimmy champagne warmed it up a couple of times for him i think helped him to kind of get it sorted um and you know mike had some some decent runs with it um he sort of redid it after i think the first year um and um it was it was all green at that point i think it was a couple different shades of green it had some what red or orange or something in it um and he ran another year or so with that car and I think that car ended up, I believe that car ended up with Jim Sewell. Um, And then Mike built another car that was his final car. And that was the car in either what, 82, I think it was 82, that Kempton Dates attempted to qualify for classic because i think mike had gotten injured either in a wreck or maybe it was some other type of race car related injury that he had um i think it was in a wreck though um and and kemp tried to qualify it for classic um i don't know that he i don't know if he made the race or not i don't remember but i'm almost positive that he i know he did that and i think it would have been 82 now um uh, gosh where did that car go i'm trying to remember who bought that car after mike was done with it um i don't recall where that that car went but i know it continued i believe to race at the speedway for a bit after mike uh and i don't think mike raced after 82 if i remember correctly um but so Mike certainly, you know, is one of those. And we mentioned Art Bennett. Art was one of the all-time greats of the early uh, 60s. This, the, you know, he was a, what you would call a founding father, I think, of super modified racing. If you're, if you're going back to the days, you know, you've got your, uh, I think, Sammy Sessions. Well, wasn't that, wasn't Sammy the Bingo 151, I think. So you have, if, you, if you just work the brain long enough, sometimes it comes back. But Sammy, um, there was Sammy, there was Art Bennett, there was Johnny Logan, there was uh, Johnny Benson, there was, oh gosh, um, I'm trying to think some of the earlier drivers from that period, mostly from out of town, because again, we didn't have any supers. Nolan Swift, I think, was the first um, sort of super <laughs> that, uh, he, you know, he just took the body off his, off his modified sportsman car and ran that. Um, but, um, you know, they, the, some of those guys, boy, they were, they were great racers and continued to be. And, uh, so I don't, I don't know that the 14, once we got past Schoberlein, um, again, I'm trying to think, uh, 
uh, I think Martell was next with it. And uh, Jim first and Greg Sachs had a classic in the Martell 14 and actually was running pretty good. And I think he think I had a mechanical problem or something. I don't think he finished it, but he he had run top five for a while. What good with it? Um, and Scott started driving, and I thought Scott was a really, really good racer, um, as Jim was. And um, so the the fourteen, I think, you know, you can make a good case that that is, you know, that that's uh, heavily, you know, a Martell number. Um, and again, I don't think that number has been used too much since, if at all. I feel like there might be one that I'm missing, but I can't remember, can't think of who it would be. I almost want to think Armin Holly ran his 14 for a bit, but I don't know that he ever ran at Oswego with that number. I think maybe when he had one of the early height cars that he was so famous for, for running, um, maybe there was a 14 there in, in that mix. Um, and I think that was the number Scott used when he drove the Skip Matzik Troyer car in a classic a good while back. I think they made it 14 for, for Scott because that was his number. So instead of making it, you know, 03 or whatever, they just made it 14. Um, and I don't, again, I'm trying to think I... I just don't think that's been a number that's been often used at Oswego um, as, you know, as much as, oh, no, I was going to say Skip Smith, but I think he was 41. Um, and then, of course, we know that in the uh, in, in the limited division, um, as I mentioned in, my, in, in the first segment, when I was talking about Dean Hogue, Jim Paternoster had the 14 car for a while with with. Uh, I think Dan Wheeler was the driver and and again I think Kenny Williamson may have had a bit of time in that car as well. Um and I don't remember if Jim had any other drivers or not. But um that's um that's all I can remember for those two numbers, but man, you could sit and talk about the flying five all day, right? I mean that that just that's just one of those cars. I mean I, I have a couple of programs with the flying five on the cover and I um, the one I don't have that I wish I did was the one that we just went through in our most recent, uh, show 72 season rewind show, um, that, uh, Don McLaren was on the cover for in, in, and, um, I just, you know, I love that iteration that, that year and, you know, the next few with, uh, the flying fives of the seventies, they had all the fancy, stars and stripes and, and, you know, just that, that just gorgeous, uh, man. And to think that they, again, to think that they painted all of that by hand back in the day, you know, and now we've got this technology where you basically just design it digitally and then it prints as a wrap. And I'm surely not saying that the digital designers are less talented in terms of their creativity, because certainly they're not, but, um, I think there was a whole other skill, right? In being able to paint, actually take the, you know, and, and paint that what you were creating on the car 
And especially like with Mike Kapazinski, I, I love, I love talking about Mike every chance I get, because I just feel like he's one of the, one of the people in the history of the speedway that will never get the respect that I feel like he deserves. Um, because as a car owner, you know, his cars didn't, didn't weren't big winners or whatever, but they sure looked beautiful. And he painted them and he had, because he was left-handed, he had to do everything backwards. Like that just, I can't, my mind can't even process that. So, you know, when you think about those flying fives and you think about how all of that was done by hand, um, at least for the most part, I would think earlier in early, you know, in the, in the early days, um, just unbelievable. Right. So, um, you know, crazy stuff, but, um, there's your five, there's your 14. Um, and that is going to wrap things up again. Um, our sincerest condolences, prayers, and thoughts to the Hogue family. And we look forward to Alex rejoining us in, uh, for the 2023 season at the Oswego Speedway, uh, racing in tribute to his dad. And I'm sure always to his grandfather as well. Um, and we hope you've enjoyed this uh, edition of Inside Groove. We will uh, be back soon with the next one. And um, hope you enjoyed Jody London. We always love talking to Jody and just can't wait for Classic Weekend. Um, you know, hopefully I can be there. But if not, I'll be watching it all and, and, you know, can't wait for those races. I am just super psyched, especially for the sports mod race. So um, look forward to that. All right. Thank you to JNS Paving, Rich Worth. And uh, his group, thank you to Jeff West and the folks from IPC Indy, and of course to Sean Cathcart and LaGroff's Pub as well, um, and the Skips Fish Fry Mobile Truck. We will be back soon with the next Inside Groove. Until then, have a blessed weekend, everybody. So long. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit racechasermedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliates, or marketing partners No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.